Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. exciting conclusions of Europe's big five leagues. In the Premier League this weekend, there's a huge relegation battle and European spots up for grabs. In the Bundesliga, we have a thrilling race at the top. And in La Liga, Serie A and Liga, various stuff, yay for stuff. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who who loves a season denouement as much as I love saying the word denouement. Bonjour, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, bonjour. I Yeah, I'm pretty excited for the season to come to an end. It has been very fun. It has been even lengthier than normal because of the mid-season World Cup. I think we're all excited for the, what, like nine-minute break we get before soccer mm. somehow resumes immediately at the end of this season? It's been a while. It has indeed. <laughs> it's um, It does feel like a long time ago that the Brentford, Man United, the, the, the days of Ten Hag not having it under control, they seem like a, a lifetime ago, Tate. Yeah. They? I mean, as Graham often points out, the uh, the handshake gate to start the season really does start to feel like it was two or three or four seasons ago at this point, and yet only only a few short months ago. Oh wow, that is very true. Well, speak of the devil, and he shall appear in a Vasco da Gama shirt. Graham <laughs> Ruffin, hello, sir. Hello, Ryan Baylor. Yeah, I thought I would mix it up today. I don't think I've worn this one on the podcast or at all. Actually, is this the first time I've worn this? But yes, it's very nice. It's Kappa. I do like a Kappa shirt. You thought it was a Venice shirt. I also like those shirts. Mm. If you would like to ship one over to me at any point, Ryan, that would be much appreciated. Uh, certainly. I'll just take the three and a half hour train up to Venice and get one for you. <laughs> Shall I, Graham? I mean, yeah, that sounds not? like what you do on a daily basis. <laughs> going to Copa Italia games, going to see Bruce I know. What yeah. a life you live. Yeah, okay, so this week in the life of Ryan has been quite fun. I'll admit that. I had a Springsteen concert on Sunday at the Chico Massimo, and I went to the Copa Italia final at the Stadio Olimpico last night, which was super duper fun. Um, Graham, you watched the game, right? I did watch the game. It was a good game. Was that the impression you got from inside the stadium? Certainly the first half where Fiorentina started very, very strongly and kind of looked like they might blow Inter away Mm. in the kind of first 30 minutes. But Inter came back into equalised and then Lataro Martinez did Lataro Martinez thing. So it was a good game in general. What was the atmosphere like? The atmosphere was incredible. Obviously, no Roma or Lazio fans. I'm used to being there being like one dominant fan set in the Stadio Olimpico. But having 50-50, both curvers, uh, you know, half and half, basically, they were trading off chance. There was flags going around. Interestingly, Inter were completely silent for the first 15 minutes. Uh, they were protesting. And we were like, why are they protesting? Let's try and look up. They're always, they're, there's often these kind of protests in Italian soccer. And they were protesting the distribution of Champions League final tickets. So, Graham, uh, they were distributing not being able to have fun at the Champions League by not having fun at the Coppa Italia final and being completely silent. Good stuff. And you and you were processing bad infrastructure and Wi-Fi? When, is that why you were completely silent? Yeah, I was uh, protesting 
very small lattes and not being in existence, you know, not having a <laughs> that you're a protesting grande. the lack of no Starbucks. Venti. Where's my venti? That's what I kept shouting <laughs> out, and no one was listening to me. Um, but if you'd like to learn more, listener, Patreon.com/slash Total Soccer Show. I put up a video from my Copatelli experience. It was very fun indeed. Shout out to Serial USA for getting the tickets. By the way, shout out to Andy and his son, who both listeners uh, for getting the tickets there. Graham, it was. Well, and Taylor, I'll address you as well, Taylor, on this one, because this is important. Marco Matarazzi, I'm going to do some more um, name dropping. Marco Matarazzi was sitting a few rows away from us. I never appreciated how huge he is. I, there's no wonder he got headbutted in the chest because he would not have been a say, ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I've never appreciated how hard his head is, thinking yeah. that he'd, in, how he'd introduced your, himself to you at the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was quite weird because he went down and sat at the front in his seats. And as he went down, everybody looked around and they clapped as he went past. It's like, oh, oh, well, oh that's weird. Yeah. Oh, that's a little imagine, bit strange. Can you imagine living that life? Everywhere you go, people clapping as you walked past, doing your can daily life. Can imagine that life? Yeah. <laughs> that is Taylor's life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, that's my life. Not at all being screamed at by my toddler for 10 minutes straight on the drive to school because there were too many red gummy bears mm. in her gummy bear mix. Yeah, that's that's the same thing as being applauded by a stadium full of people for Gummy bears actions. for breakfast and she's complaining. Not my for God. breakfast. It's the way we get her into the car to get uh. her to school. Full on bribery in the like morning. Like a trail on the street, thing. like leading up to the car <laughs> yes, door. Exactly. And then there's a box that falls on top of her, and then we're able to get her into the car. Yes. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Uh, Matt Ratsy would shout back, by the way, Taylor. That's how um, he would handle it. Not, At I'm not, a minimum. Not recommending that. Um, uh, Matt Ratsy wearing like a white t shirt. Javier Zanetti sitting near him in a three piece suit looking of unbelievable. He looked like he was either going to conduct a train or like go to a, like a formal dance. It looked incredible. Um, does he still look like he's in his mid 20s? Yeah, he does. <laughs> he looks absolutely immaculate. He's an incredible looking man. Um, one, one more thing I'll say from this game. I love the fact that Fiorentina's coach is called Vincenzo Italiano, which just sounds made up. <laughs> Just sounds like a made up name. Like, it sounds like a comedy bang bang alter ego, Taylor. I think it does. Vincenzo Italiano. Yeah. <laughs> His name yeah. and Kevin Lasagna's name are my two favorites in Syria. Right. Ryan, there was a there's a character on in the last couple of weeks who I think was like a the the in, an inspector of the holes on pasta. I believe that sounds like Vincenzo Italiano would be the character name for that one. Excellent stuff. Well, we have Pasta Pasta and we have the Italian lawyer. Let's not talk about Comedy Bang Bang anymore. Let's talk about Fair. soccer, shall we? Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to join in the fun there. We also have some bonus episodes, plenty more going on there. And some stuff from Joe Lowry, who's not with us on this here podcast. He's uh, pulled a Ryan and is doing some hashtag travel today. So that's good for <laughs> Joe. We, uh, we missed you, Joe, already. Let's get to the Premier League first, shall we? 37 games played, one to go. We've got a top four situation, Taylor, with, uh, as we record, Manchester United playing the Chelsea Football Club uh, tonight, as we record, and they can seal a top four spot with that one. They can. Uh, my pessimism tells me, or made me think that they would not. Uh, Graham Ruffin, prior to recording, pointed out that Chelsea don't really care at this point. Manchester United just have to care a little bit more than that to get the result. So I feel like a draw is somewhat likely this evening, which would secure them top four, which I think is is a success for the season. Uh, yeah. I think there was, because there was like that period of time where it felt like everything was clicking, there's still that air of like what might have been. But I think if you'd offered Manchester United fans top four under Eric Ten Hag and definite progress, I think they would have taken it at the beginning of the season. So they may as well take it now. 
Yeah, top four, a trophy in the bag, another final to come, which may be a bit of a disappointment the way that Manchester City are going. But nonetheless, that is a, a relative successful season for Manchester United. I've been quite impressed with how they've they've kind of held off Liverpool's charge the last few weeks because Liverpool have been in excellent form. So they've got seven wins from eight. They drew the other one. They... With Klopp, it feels like he's figured some things some things out. Certainly with Trent, Trent Alexander Arnold in central midfield and his and his front three as well, with Jota coming back and Luis Diaz coming back, so that bodes well for them for next season. But they just gave themselves too much ground to to make up in the end. So it looks like being, I believe, Liverpool are guaranteed Europa League football now for next season. They still have a slim chance of of getting. Um, Champions League football at the time of recording, as has already been referenced, mine it can seal that tonight with a point or a point from one of their two final games. But yeah, Liverpool, I think next season will be a, a, a bit of a a different animal. I think they will be a force again. Yeah. Uh, and Taylor, can we give major props to Brighton at this point? Uh, their best yes. ever season in the history of the Soccers and getting Europa League qualification sealed with their draw against Man City on Wednesday. Absolutely. And, and talking about how long this season has been or how long it has felt... Uh, lest we forget, we go back to when they're high-flying under Graham Potter, and then he leaves for Chelsea or has his release clause paid, and away he goes. And it's felt like, oh, okay, they're having a great season, new manager coming in, they'll probably tread water, regress a little bit, and then they'll kind of rebuild in his style in the offseason, and then we'll see what happens. And instead, Roberto De Zerbi has really inspired them to even greater heights, and now uh, Europa League secured. That is just a tremendous achievement for them, but also, I think, for Brighton supporters, that has to be just so incredibly exciting that you get European games next year. Uh, I, I think massive credit to to the team, to the organization, and to Roberto De Zerbi for everything that they have done this campaign. Uh, quick question, Taylor. If De Zerbi mm-hmm. goes to another Premier League club, let's say Tottenham, and Tottenham play Brighton, does it become the De Zerbi Derby? Uh, Yes, absolutely. And we have to pronounce it that way to preserve the rhyming scheme. (laughs) We do indeed. Graham, anything more to add on the top of the table before we head to the nether regions of the Premier League? No, I don't think so. I mean, Man City obviously have secured the title a long time ago. Arsenal second place as well. Champions League football for them next season. That's that's a big deal. I know the, the final phase of the season hasn't really panned out for them as they as they might have hoped but similar to sort of Manchester United when you take a step back and look at the broader picture top four finish comfortably top four top four finish and in a title race I think Arsenal would have taken that at the start of the campaign yeah and I want to just take a moment to to spotlight Newcastle who are far further along in their build process than I thought they would be at this point to have uh, wrapped up Champions League I do believe they haven't wrapped up third necessarily but it feels likely that's where they will end up if not they're in fourth but that's another one where you have to believe they would have taken that one at the beginning of the season and they feel I think I said this previously they feel like a club that will spend some money this summer and then continue to kick on they feel like they are in the spot that they will be in next year in and around the, the Champions League places I think what Eddie Howe has has done with that team and the way it's been constructed we can talk at length and have about the ownership and how they've gone about making that happen. But I think he still deserves credit for what he's gotten the team to do. The players deserve a ton of credit for the way they've executed on the pitch. And they are deservedly in the top four. So well done, Newcastle. Excellent positive spin there, Taylor. I appreciate that one. Let's go to... I feel like I've just been pretty negative about them the whole season. We have a few uh, Newcastle listeners who have let me know that at various points. (laughs) Uh, And it's not about the club, but it is also about the club at the same time. Uh, But, you know, credit where credit is due. It is important to note that the fans didn't choose the owners after all. So that is fair cop. A couple of Newcastle fans, but it's not Ant and Dec, is it? It is. All right, sure. (laughs) How did you know? 
<laughs> They're the only two Newcastle fans. It, and, and Graham Sunis. It's it's a weird one. Ah, he's been yeah. he's been messaging in. Yeah, I can't think of any other celebrity Newcastle fans. You stumped me there, Graham. There it is. They're the okay. only ones. The All only right. celebrity ones. All right, let's move on to the relegation. <laughs> I meant to say Kevin Keegan, and instead I said Graham Sunis. Apologies for that. Kevin Keegan has messaged me to be angry. Okay, there it is. He would love it if you apologised. There that. it love is. It. Thank you, Ryan. All right, there we are. <laughs> relegation battle: Everton, Leicester, and Leeds in the mire in seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth, respectively. Everton with Bournemouth on the final day. Leeds hosting Tottenham. Leicester hosting West Ham. All home games, Graham, for these three teams. Weird. Everton in the catbird seat, as we like to say around here, with uh, obviously being in seventeenth position. Is this order going to change at all? I guess is the question. So I think there's a chance that all three teams get get points this weekend. If you go through those those three fixtures, so Everton at home to Bournemouth. I mean, Bournemouth are pretty much on the beach at this point, more so Literally. than normal, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Bournemouth being on the seaside, but they've not got much to play for. Everton have been stronger at home than uh, than away from home. That's the case for most teams, but it feels like away from home, they've really struggled this season. And then uh, Leicester at home to West Ham. Again, West Ham, not much to play for in terms of the Premier League. They've got a European final coming up, so it wouldn't surprise me if David Moyes actually heavily rotated his team for that game. Mm. And then leads it home to Tottenham, and Tottenham are, at this stage, very Tottenham. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if, if all those teams, all those relegation-threatened teams ended up getting a result. I still expect the table to finish as it looks now, though. Um with Everton being the the one team that avoids relegation. Obviously, they've got that that two-point cushion, which gives them an advantage, of course. And I do think there will be loads of twists and turns over the course of the day where maybe, I don't know, Leicester score an early goal against West Ham and they're above uh, Everton for a period. But then at at the end of the day, at full time, I would predict this is the order we're going to get. It's it's a strange one. I agree with Graham. I think there's a chance that all three uh, get some version of points I think it probably stays as it is I think Leeds will have the most difficulty uh, and I don't think we've seen them really kick on or find a new gear or just find new momentum under Big Sam the way I thought they would so I was wrong on that one uh, and maybe Leeds will end up being wrong on appointing him in the first place with four games to go uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to make anything happen against Tottenham but it's still a very interesting position for all of them because regardless of who survives I, I think there's still big questions that are going to have to be figured out uh, in the offseason. If Leicester stay up, they've obviously got Dean Smith in place, but still they've needed a roster rebuild and a lot of new faces and a lot of players moved on for a couple seasons now. That was Brendan Rodgers' big complaint, and then he didn't get the backing he thought he would. That goes a long way towards explaining his departure. Everton under Sean Dyche have been better, question mark, but I don't <laughs> think that they're necessarily... Again, kicking on, finding the form, finding the confidence, finding that belief and the team spirit that we've seen Sean Deitch inspire at Burnley in the past. So I, I think he remains a good appointment, but I don't know if he is the long-term appointment that they want to get them back to where they feel like they belong. And even with Leeds, if they're somehow able to stay up, are they keeping on Big Sam? Has he done enough to inspire the confidence for next season? I don't really know. I think all three of them have a lot of work to do and it is surprising that they are in these relegation places. These are not three of the teams that I thought, two of these three teams I did not think would be going down. And yet at the same time, when you spend just a little bit of time analyzing them or watching them, it's pretty clear why they're here and that they should be here. So mm. I, I think all of them have 
reasons why they could stay up. And I think all of them have reasons why they might go down. And for some of them, I feel like going down might allow them to clear the decks, rebuild a bit, and then find their way back. There we go. Another positive spin, Taylor. I'm loving the, the plus sign above your head today. Very good indeed. It just feels so strange, doesn't it? Like, that's really where it is for me. It's just that two of these three, two of Everton, Leicester, and Leeds, I guess... Leads, maybe I bought into like the Jesse Marsh hype and the love of Tyler Adams and everything, but I just didn't see them in this position at the beginning of the year. Certainly that goes for Leicester and certainly it goes for Everton. Yeah. So it's just odd that we are in this position where two of these three are going down when there are so many other teams that we all felt were much more likely. And I guess that speaks to belief and managerial yeah. acumen and I, you know, crowd support as well and momentum and all that good stuff. Credit to everybody who's not having to sweat it out this weekend. Hmm. Leeds, Leeds and Leicester are a real case study in how quickly things can turn around yep. for clubs in the Premier League. I'm pretty yeah. sure maybe even last season at a point, I might have written an article about Leicester City being the best run club in the Premier <laughs> League. And then the following season, it looks like they're going to get relegated. Leeds United, I know they've been a bit messy for a while, but that first season with Bielsa, mm -hmm. there was a lot of praise, not just for Bielsa, but for Victor Orta, the, the, football, the, the football director, sporting director, whatever his title was, and the way they were being run and how they had one of the smallest budgets in the Premier League, but they were maximising talent. And then this season, for both of those clubs, everything has just collapsed. Yeah. So there's just no room for complacency in the Premier League at all. It's so odd, Graham. I was watching, I forget what game it was on Peacock, but when that game ended, it auto-played the start of the Leeds All or Nothing, the one narrated by Russell Crowe, which I forgot and thought it was Tom Hardy and then was very confused why Tom Hardy sounded like Russell Crowe. That's beside the point. But the optimism... Tom Hardy of, did one of those, though, didn't he? He did the which Spurs one, did he, one, yeah. The Spurs one, yeah. Yeah. Which also, is which is the most like clear he's been. He's not even talking with a ground. He's voice, not even wearing a mask. Is, yeah, exactly. Or a helmet. He is. What if he did the whole thing in the Bane voice? <laughs> <laughs> Jose Mourinho. Uh, that's my Bane. It's terrible. Uh, but the optimism in that the beginning of that leads all or nothing with the new owner coming in, the way they go about convincing Bielsa. You can just see in the players and Calvin Phillips and Luke Ayling, there's just this belief. There's this confidence. I'm going to guess if there were another version of all or nothing done this season. Slightly more drab, slightly more morbid is maybe more the, the end of this one. Yes, exactly. More Sunderland <laughs> until I die than Leeds all or nothing at the beginning. Uh, my last question, Leeds related. Does this, Graham, kill Big Sam's career finally? If he, if it happens, if Leeds stay in 18th or 19th, he'll have two successive relegations on his yeah. resume. And he is the guy who saves you from relegation. So, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's not ideal when that's your whole USP. I yeah. think it does probably kill his Premier League career. I, I kind of thought his Premier League career was dead already, mm -hmm. to be honest, yeah. after West Brom, which was disastrous. I mean, at least with Leeds, you could argue he had four games... And I know there hasn't been the impact he, that maybe Taylor... He will certainly argue that. Yeah, he will. <laughs> with his pint of wine over a table, at a table with you. Um, but yes, he he could argue four, he had four games. I know there hasn't been the impact that maybe Taylor um, anticipated or yep. a lot of people anticipated, but there, ha there has been a tiny little bit of an impact. They didn't get thrashed at Man City and they got a point in the game after that. But yeah, I can't see a reason why another Premier League club would hire... Big Sam now in 2023. Yeah. Scoring first and then finding a way to, to lose in pretty emphatic fashion. That that was sort of the the major of all the many red flags there have been of late. That's a big one to go up one nil at West Ham. Rodrigo scoring in the 15th, 16th, 17th, something uh, early, early in the game. And then for West Ham to just come back the way they did. I think it speaks to that the spirit or lack thereof that once things start to go wrong, 
I think you can see the whole team have that, like, oh, here we go again. The wheels are falling off. I hope we can find a way to do Oh, they scored again. Oh, that's it. Like, there's just not that sort of like, okay, we got to find a way to solve this. We got to kick on. And that is what I thought he would bring. It, it, the idea that they lost from a winning position is the exact opposite of what I thought would, would happen under Big Sam. So I think he, again, having bought into the hype completely, I will own that. Looking at the way he sort of dismisses some of his failures in the past, West Brom wasn't his fault. The pandemic ruined everything. He didn't have the spirit of the crowd. Newcastle, not his fault. You know, some things happened there. Newcastle, not his fault. He he kind of hand waves away. England, it was a trap. It's not my fault. It feels like maybe the 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 Leeds one is just another one that brings that negative column up a little bit. It's like when a franchise starts to teeter into, oh, you had two good movies and now you've had three bad ones. Uh, now maybe there's some warning flags here or maybe bigger warning flags than there were already. So I think that's about where Big Sam is. I look forward to him coaching. I don't know. I don't know who he'll take over next, but it will be fun to see Big Sam, whoever he takes over midseason next season and how he does or doesn't inspire them to a comeback. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Bundesliga. We're going to talk about the richest game in soccer. Taylor's going to do more Bane impressions. Much more coming shortly. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between, but no matter what, It's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. 
Welcome back to Total Soccer Show. Do you feel like doing more pain <laughs> impressions, Taylor? <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I watched him. I don't know why I watched this recently. It was one of those like YouTube autoplay things. A lot of autoplay happening in my life. And it was him explaining where he got that accent. And it's from a Romani, Welsh, Irish boxer who that I, I then listened to. And he does not sound like Bane at all. Like Tom Hardy does this impression of him that makes him sound exactly like Bane. I think Tom Hardy just came up with the Bane impression. It was like, yeah, that'll work. Put a mask on me. Let's do this thing. I mean, Tom Hardy's accent, his real accent is kind of difficult to pin down. Yeah. I mean, in the UK, he, d he did... Um, Ryan, do you know like CBB's bedtime stories? Yes. He, he did one of those episodes where he used his real life, like real life accent and didn't do it in the Bane accent as much as I wish he had done it in the Bane accent because that would have been brilliant. Once but yeah, his, upon a try. His, his accent's kind of strange. Yeah, his, his Peaky Blinders accent is quite something as well. I can never figure out what he's trying to do with that. Anyway, less of him, more scream. of... He's trying to scream mostly <laughs> and then punch people and then scream some more. Yes, also does stuff on camera. Anyway, uh, <laughs> talking about the promotion race to the Premier League, the biggest <laughs> game in soccer. That one just clicked with took Taylor. Me a minute. It took me a minute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have the Championship Playoff Final on Saturday. Uh, the most lucrative game in soccer this is uh, referred to as. Figures bandied around uh, suggest that it's worth at least $100 million to the victor. The two teams involved in this are Coventry, Coventry City, and Luton Town. Uh, goodness me, Coventry were last in the Premier League 22 years ago. Luton have never been in the Premier League, but they were a top division side many a year ago. Both of these teams, Graham, were in League Two five yeah. years ago. This is, I'm so excited about this game because it's basically two minnows, if you can call Coventry that. They've been through a lot. They've had a lot of um, wrangling yeah. with their stadium and financial implosion, as, as have Luton indeed, actually. So to see them both on the brink of the Premier League is just fantastic for the sport, and they're probably both going to get one of them will get destroyed next season. But hey, it'll be a fun game. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we have spoken about Luton Town. I think that was maybe a listener, a question in listener questions a, mm. a couple of weeks ago. They're a fantastic story. I watched them in the in the playoff semi final against Middlesbrough. Very entertaining team to watch. Um, Nathan Jones, the, the the most maligned manager in Premier League history, actually played a really important role in, in building yeah. that club up and that team up. And then he moved on to go to uh, Southampton. And they've kind of, the most impressive thing is they've just kept that momentum going. I mean, normally when you get maybe a smaller club that loses a super influential manager that's been there for a long time, they kind of fall away. But that hasn't, that's not what's happened with Luton Town at all. But then as you say, Coventry, I'm just looking through their list of seasons. They were in League Two as recently as 2018. They were in League One in 2020. And they had serious financial issues. There were, there were questions about whether that club would even continue, whether yeah. that club would exist. They weren't playing and they actually have a very kind of modern stadium um, i'm not sure if it, it's called this anymore but it used to be called the rico arena yeah. for sponsorship reasons they they weren't playing in their stadium like a few seasons ago because they there was some dispute over rent and they couldn't afford to play there and they were quite nomadic and they're playing at different grounds so to go from there to one match away from the premier league in such a short space of time is remarkable yeah. Um, yeah, they were playing at Northampton for quite a while, I recall, which is not particularly near Coventry. Both places, listener, you should probably never go. Um, <laughs> is there any way this game doesn't go to penalties? It, both, they, when they played, they played twice this season, both of those were draws. 
we've talked at many points uh, previously about how big games like this don't always produce the most aesthetically pleasing of football. And I think with so much on the line, I can see both of these teams uh, being a little bit cagey, being a little bit cautious. I could see this one going to extra time and then penalties. I hope it doesn't, but it might well do just that. Bonus soccer time, baby! All right, some extra uh, time from Wembley is what we're predicting in this one. I absolutely can't call who's going to win this. Kind of hope Luton do just because they're tiny, and if you believe social media, they play in an actual dumpster with three blades of glass in it. Um, Kenilworth Road is small, is the point there. But, uh, uh, well, I think I think social media believes that Luton Town play in someone's living room yeah. with that, that <laughs> turnstile. <laughs> Uh, you both have failed to mention uh, Ethan Horvath is the main reason why they're in this playoff. Of U.S. goalkeeper Ethan Horvath, we should always mention him. Indeed. Indeed we shall. All right, shall we key. move to the Bundesliga? We have a big old title race on our Woo! hands this weekend. Borussia Dortmund, two points ahead of Bayern Munich this coming weekend. Graham, are they going to mess it up? Are they going to mess it up? Oh, I really want Dortmund to do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail my colours to the mast here. I am a Dortmund fan this weekend. Bayern Munich have won ten of these in a row. Come on, let someone else have a shot. The last time there was a non Bayern Munich champion of Germany was when Jurgen Klopp, obviously, was Borussia Dortmund manager. A lot has happened uh, since then, and I never thought the most exciting title race in Europe this season would be in the Bundesliga, even as recently as maybe a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. It felt like Bayern Munich were just going to accelerate away from Dortmund, particularly after Thomas Tuchel comes in. They win his first match in charge against Borussia Dortmund. They kind of just swat them aside. Since then, Bayern have just completely collapsed. And all they need to do is beat Mainz at home this weekend. So Mainz have lost four games in a row. So that is a good omen for Dortmund heading into this game. Not such a good omen as Jude Bellingham is is, is a doubt once again. He obviously missed the game at the weekend. But even without him, that central unit that they have has been working really well for Dortmund. I think they have good balance with Chan, who's been playing very well recently, Julian Brandt. And then they've got the kind of directness of... Players like Adeyemi and Daniel Malin, who started to round the corner for Dortmund and showing why they signed him in the first place. And then we spoke about Sebastian Haller on the weekend review this weekend. So, or this week, I, I like their chances and that makes me very nervous for them because that feels like they're setting us all up for the most Dortmund of all time. Yeah. I, I'm kind of concerned, Taylor, that they'll get a draw and then they'll lose this thing on goal difference because Bayern Munich yeah. are at Cologne and they, I, I think they might win that one. What do you think, Taylor? I think Mainz are tricky. They're trickier than their current form would suggest. Uh, Ludovic Ajork, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, he did not start in their 4-1 loss to Stuttgart, but he is a big old forward who uh, can handle some physicality, can handle some battling, and is very good in the air, is very good at the kind of knockdown uh, direct play, also getting on the end of crosses. Uh, so Dortmund, I think, just need to not look past Mainz's present form and where they are on the table and have to kind of pay attention to those individual threats. And I think if Dortmund are able to play their attacking game, they should have enough to get that win. Uh, Operative word there being should. But I I think with the way Bayern have sort of gotten in their own way, Dortmund have managed to continue in the way they needed to, even despite the injuries at the beginning of the season, in the middle of the season, and at present time without uh, Jude Bellingham, as Graham already talked about. I think it's a strange one because it doesn't, the narrative doesn't feel like Dortmund like heroically found a way to get the form together and they went on this streak and they won everything and here they are or that Bayern Munich were like chased to the end. It feels like Bayern Munich just sort of ran out of gas and Dortmund have hopefully just enough to get across the line. Uh, But it's a strange 
title race where it seems like it's going to be 73 points is good enough uh, to win it all. Uh, that feels low to me, but maybe yeah. maybe that's uh, par for the course. But to me, this Bundesliga season has just been a head scratcher. Yeah, it feels it feels weird that the that Bayern Munich stranglehold on the Bundesliga might finally be broken this season and the team that has done it or could do it is not going to be the predominant storyline. The story of this season mm-hmm. in the Bundesliga is Bayern Munich's collapse and their poor decision making and the change from Nagelsmann to, to Tuchel. That is the, the motivating factor behind Dortmund potentially becoming champions. So it's one of those things where I, I think all of us have just kind of been caught off guard. If this was going to happen, I anticipated it would be something we would trace over a number of months from early in the season where there's a sense of, oh, this could happen this season, kind of like we had with Arsenal. Mm. in the Premier League where yep. we thought that was a possibility from early on it's really on the, only in the last month that everyone's kind of woken up and gone oh Dortmund might actually win the German title that feels strange it does I, I think it's also strange I, I looked it up very briefly and I think the last two seasons Bayern Munich have won with like 77 and 79 points so not significantly more than 73 if Dortmund ended up getting all three points at the same time we usually have Byron winning it by eight points, 12 points, whatever it may be. So it's sort of wrapped up ahead of time that maybe they're a little less focused on some of those final games. And I think maybe they've just had that same mentality this time, except forgot that they weren't 15 points ahead. So that that form ha- has caught up to them. Again, mines are a tricky side, but I, I hope that Dortmund have the sort of strength and belief and confidence to find a way through. And I do think that they have veteran difference makers this year. Emre Jean has been there, obviously, so too has Matt Hummels. I think Nicolas Sula has come in and brought some of that just winning pedigree. The uh, We've been here before. I've been here before. I can do it again. We can do it again. I, I think he doesn't really back down in those big moments and can be a difference maker for them on the defensive side. I think Dortmund should have enough, and, and I hope they do for uh, my Dortmund supporting friends, but also just from a neutral standpoint, it's good to have different teams winning the leagues. Last time they won it, Bayern won and won 10 in a row. So yeah. let's look forward to next season <laughs> after this one, if they do win. RB Leipzig in third. They're confirmed in the Champions League. Graham, we have a race for the fourth place. Uh, Union Berlin in fourth at the moment. Equal on points yeah. with Freiburg. Yeah, so this is another great storyline in the Bundesliga this season. Uh, Union Berlin, what what a story they have been. So they only won promotion to the Bundesliga for the first time, I think, three years ago. Now they're on the verge of the Champions League. And there has been a gradual progression. You know, they were in European football this season, so they did well last year. But this season, they've kind of exceeded expectations. There was a time in the first half of the season where people were questioning, are they in the title race? They were top of the table a couple of times. Um, and Fisher's team, they, they have, they have grossly, there's a lot of people on Twitter and social media that point, will point out that they've, they've grossly overperformed their underlying numbers all season. And the theory there is that they will drop away at some point. But amazingly, they haven't. And they've kind of, as I say, they've done this over a couple of seasons now. Last season, they overperformed their numbers as as, as well. So they're certainly a very interesting team, a very interesting club. They're, they're so good in transition. Geraldo Becker has been fantastic this season. Doki is one of the best centre-backs in the league at this point. I would really like to see them in the Champions League. But then... You look at Freiburg, and they are also a great story. So there, there are kind of similarities to Union Berlin and how they've they've both built over a, a number of seasons to this point. Strike as as the the Bundesliga Bundesliga's longest serving manager. Excuse me. They play attacking football. They're entertaining to watch. They certainly get the most out of the players and the talent that they have. So either way, 
regardless of whether it's Union Berlin or, or Freiburg that finish in that, that fourth position, there is going to be an interesting German team in the Champions League next season, a team that we're not so used to seeing at that level of European football. Very nice indeed. And a bit of a contrast, as you say, Graham, with Union Berlin going for Champions League and Hertha, their city rivals, mm-hmm. being relegated already. Uh, Taylor, any thoughts on the relegation battle we have going on in the Bundesliga? We've got Schalke, Falfell, uh, Bochum. Yeah. Stuttgart in the mix. I think of all the Bundesliga clubs, for whatever reason, Schalke is the one I tend to gravitate towards, despite their very turbulent recent history. Uh, And so with that in mind, with sadness in my heart, I think it will stay as it is. I think Hertha nailed on uh, to get relegated. I think Schalke have a lot of work to do at RB Leipzig. Uh, Leipzig don't have a ton to play for, as you already outlined, but I still think going away to Leipzig is a tricky one, especially with how good they have been. Uh, and, and then Bochum, uh, checking it really quickly, Bochum are home to Leverkusen, and that seems like it might be just a little bit too tough of an ask. So I could see it staying exactly as it is with Bochum yeah. in the relegation playoff and Schalke relegated automatically. Yeah, I was just going to mention that, Taylor, for anyone who doesn't know, know um, you made a quick reference to it there. The, the bottom three, obviously, in the Premier League get relegated straight away, automatically. But in the Bundesliga, if you finish 16th, you go into the relegation playoffs. So if that is Bochum, if that stays the same, they will have uh, an opportunity to save themselves in that playoff match against a team from the second tier, which the name of I can never pronounce in Germany. Go on, Taylor, you do it well. Oh, I don't even know who it would be. Oh, it's, it's, it's not like Bundesliga Zwei? Or oh, the, no, the it's oh, the Zweiter, I think is what you have to there say to go. make it second as opposed to just number two Bundesliga. So Zweiter Bundesliga. Although Ryan, I think, speaks fluent German, so maybe we should be asking Ryan. Yeah, that's stimmt. Zweiter Bundesliga. Zweiter. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, though I've just laid out Bochum, Schalke, Hertha, uh, I believe I'm correct in saying all of Hoffenheim, Augsburg, Stuttgart, Bochum, and Schalke could be relegated based on results and how things play out. Uh, for example, Stuttgart, I think they play Hoffenheim. So if they were to beast past uh, Hoffenheim, that could put them level on points. I think Schalke cannot catch Hoffenheim 31 to 35 points. But still, there's many different permutations of how things could play out. I just have a hard time getting past Schalke beating Leipzig and Bochum making up the, the point yeah. differences that they would need to make up. And one little, one interesting little uh, subplot for this weekend is Stuttgart have Hoffenheim. Yep. Who is Hoffenheim's manager? That would be Mitter, Mr. Matarazzo, who is obviously a former Stuttgart manager who maybe played a role in getting Stuttgart into the position maybe that they're in. Maybe just maybe. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Hmm. Lots of machinations going on down there in the Bundesliga. Anything more German, Taylor, before we uh, take a little break? No, I just, I, I'm excited for whoever finishes fourth. I kind of hope it's Union just because I think they've done some really impressive things. I talked about that when I talked about managers who should be getting more love. But I think Union, I don't know what they would do in the Champions League next season, but I think they they have, the way they have sort of improved every single year, I would like to see them finish fourth. Uh, but we'll see what happens. We we still have the Europa Conference League places to be settled in, in Germany, and I'm interested to see how Leverkusen um, finish the season because they seem to be full steam ahead for European qualification until their Europa League run got in the way, which is obviously quite ironic. They went out in the semi-finals. A lot of speculation about Xavi Alonso's future as well. Some of their players, Jeremy Frimpong being linked with Manchester United. I don't know if that has been a factor and why they've been quite shaky recently, but they need uh, they need a result this weekend to secure European football for next season, and that will give them a platform to build again. Without that platform, it's a little bit more difficult. 
Marvellous stuff. Dankeschön, Graham. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll look at the permutations in the Liga, in Serie A, in Liga. Much more coming shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So, all soccer show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to La Liga. Barcelona, of course, champions in Spain. Taylor, how's it looking at the top, though? We've got a little battle uh, for second place. We've got a battle in the top four going on. Lots happening. Of course, it's uh, important to note here and in a few of the other leagues, we're going to talk about two games left. So it's not the final weekend this mm-hmm. weekend. It is not, but we still have uh, multiple things to play for, including that second place spot. Real Madrid presently occupying it with 74 points. Atleti behind them with 73. Sociedad in fourth with 68. More or less wrapping up that final Champions League spot there, five points ahead of Villarreal. So uh, Sociedad just need a couple of points and they should be feeling quite fine. I don't know if... Real Madrid or Atleti really care about finishing second place. Atleti Maybe do. they want. You think they do? Yeah, they've spoken about it. Really? really okay. Because it feels I think to me purely like it's because just... it's Real Madrid as well. Yeah. Um, that matters to them. Okay. So, so you think this does matter? You think there is going to be a level of intensity there? Because it feels to me like they're both. At least Real Madrid are sort of like, eh, we're out of the Champions League. Oh, yeah, Real Madrid League. don't care. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, so Real Madrid, I don't think, care much at uh-huh. all. But last night I watched um, Espanyol versus Atleti. Atleti mm-hmm. were 3-0 up in that game and contrived to throw that away and draw 3-3 in the end. And by full time, you could tell, look, they weren't they weren't gutted as if there was a title on the line, but there was certainly a, a disappointment because that win would have put them above Real Madrid and would have made it likely that that position would stick until the end of the season. But yeah, for Atleti, I think you've got to factor in with when a factor in, excuse me, with Atleti, all the context of them always being below Real Madrid and being the the smaller sibling, and so any time that they can pull themselves above Real Madrid, that does matter to them. Wonderful stuff. All right, uh, what else is happening in the top four? Graham Sociedad in fourth place at the moment, uh, potentially could be caught by Villarreal. So Real Sociedad this season are a really interesting team and a, and a really interesting storyline because um, all has been building this team for maybe three, four seasons at this point and they have this track record of starting really, really strongly and then falling away. This season that hasn't happened though and actually towards the end of the season they've, they've had the bit between their teeth. They're unbeaten in their last six matches, they've beaten Real Madrid, they've beaten Barcelona, they've got a lot of players playing at a very high level. So Alexander Sorloth has led the line brilliantly recently. Mikko Marino continues to be one of the best midfielders in the league. The same goes for Zubimendi. There's some speculation around those two. Zubimendi, I think, is on Barcelona's radar. Marino keeps getting linked to the to, to the Premier League. So I am pleased to see La Real on the verge of the Champions League. It's, it's, it's felt like it's a long time coming for them. Villarreal, they have won five of their last six. Um, I think they've given themselves a lot to do. I believe... Real Sociedad just need as a single point um, yeah, to get yeah. the job done. So yeah, they probably left it a little bit too late. But there are signs with Villarreal that they are 
finally adopting Kiki Setien's style, which is much more possession-based than, than Emery's. So going into next season, I think that's going to look interesting for them. All right, taking a look down at the relegation battle. Elche are down, of course. We've got Espanyol Valladolid in the relegation spots at the moment. Cadiz, Hetafe, uh, Almeria. Quite a few teams who could be dragged yeah. into this one, Graham. It's a, it's a decent um, race they've got down there in the relegation battle. Espanyol sitting in 19th at the moment. Um, losing to Barcelona a few weeks back when Barcelona celebrated on their field their championship win. Of course, Espanyol being another Barcelona team. That one had to hurt and it didn't help their uh, prospects of staying up. It certainly didn't. And last night, even though they, the game I was just talking about, the 3-3 draw against Atletico Madrid, even though they did fight back from 3-0 down, by full time it felt like a bit of a missed opportunity. Atleti were more vulnerable than I've seen them in a, in a number of weeks. They've been in really good form recently. And there were opportunities there for Espanyol to, to score a fourth or a fifth in the last five minutes and, 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 and take all three points, which would have been huge for them. I think that would have lifted them to within one point of Real Valladolid. So there's there's three points between them and Valladolid in, in 18th place. So they are very much hanging on by a thread now. I frankly just don't think Espanyol's team is good enough. Um, I mean, when Raul de Thomas left, that robbed them of that attacking focal point and he dug them out of so many holes and they have really, really missed him since he has left the team. And as I say, there's just, there's just not a great deal of quality in that squad at the moment. Then you have Valencia, who, as you mentioned, Ryan, there's a lot of teams still in this relegation mix in La Liga. You can actually go all the way up to, I believe, Real Mallorca, even though they are technically kind of safe with their with their goal difference and, and and with their points but they're they're not officially safe yet so if you look at Rio Vallecano on 11th they're still in contention for for European qualification and then the team directly below them in 12th is Mallorca who still officially aren't safe yet so plenty to play for in all areas of La Liga Valencia are 13th at the moment on on 40 points so they're only two points above 18th place and and, and the bottom three and if you look at their squad, and obviously Valencia this week have been in the news for depressing reasons, but in, in a football sense, it is a real underachievement to, for them to be down there. I know there's been a bit of a drain of talent from Valencia in recent years where they've been forced to sell their best players for not as much as they would have hoped. But that is still a, a very talented squad that they have that I think should be better than 13th place in La Liga. So it's a real reflection of the uncertainty around that club with Peter Lim, who's a very... Um, unpopular owner there's not much of a strategy they keep chopping and changing managers Barakas is the current manager he's only been in place for a couple months so yes it's it's, re- it's a real condemnation of how that club has been run that they are in this situation you should note uh, Athletic Club Osasuna Mallorca and Valencia have all only played 35 games to everyone else's 36 so that could be a difference maker for both Mallorca and Valencia if they could make up some ground with that game in hand the only other thing I wanted to note, uh, looking at the form guide for a moment, Celta Vigo, I think, have the worst form in the league. Uh, four losses and a draw in their last five games. Real Valladolid would have been on that list. Uh, four, dra- four losses in a row and then a win against Barcelona, which, yeah. which then sends Valladolid above Espanyol. I have like I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but there is a part of me that's like Barcelona already wrapped up the title. I do wonder if there's an element of like, oh, we could hurt Espanyol too. Let's make that happen. They were like, shall we just do this for vibes? Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. let's do it. 
One also, if they depressed the lever that they'd been pulling all season <laughs> exactly. long just for that game, maybe they'll do it again. We shall see. Uh, let's take our attention to Serie A. Of course, Napoli are champions for the first time since Maradona was roaming around in Naples. Uh, we've got an interesting top four battle going on. Lazio in second at the moment, Inter in third, Milan in fourth. Juventus have had a bit of a roller coaster season. Yeah. They uh, they had a fifteen point <laughs> deduction. They got it given back, putting them back in the top four. They just had ten points taken away again, putting them conveniently just outside European contention in seventh place. Graham, so, that was my first question. Is the table that I'm looking at right now the the current up to date one? So I've got Juventus in seventh on fifty nine yep. points. Yeah, that's is it. that is that where we are right now? Because yes. as you say, it's been difficult to keep track of things. Well, hang on with the deductions. Give an hour or so, it might be different. But as we speak, right? Okay, yeah. So they have had a, a real roller coaster of a season. And when they had what was the initial deduction? It was fifteen, right? Yeah. Fifteen yeah. points. Yeah. So that would have taken them up to. they'd be in second yeah Yeah. so they'd be in second which is a real narrative buster Mm. of how i think juventus's season has gone i'm not sure what to think of that because i think they've had a disastrous season but if they didn't have the deduction they'd be the second best team in italy no i sure no idea what to make of that but yeah it's a very interesting top four race um even at this late stage with just two rounds to play for inter milan atalanta roma juventus as you mentioned ryan um Roma feels like a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, it seemed like they were peaking at the right time. It now feels like they're peaking at the wrong time. Unbe- they've not got a win in their last uh, six six games, four draws, two defeats in that time. They're now down to sixth place and they've got a European final coming up as well. So maybe a slightly distracted. Atalanta are a bit of a sleeper team. They've got, um, well, let's look at this, four wins in their last six games. They're up to fifth. They're certainly in play for a top four place with two games to go. So this might be, yeah. obviously Napoli got this done a long time ago with the Scudetto but this is maybe the most interesting thing about Serie A right now Atalanta have a tough one they've got Inter away then Monza at home Monza are, are, are safe like comfortably in eighth I don't think they can do much more or much worse uh, so maybe they won't have a ton to play for but at Inter is a tough one for Atalanta uh, Graham I, I'm equally I was equally confused by the Juve thing as you were that like wait hold on is this where they were is this where they would have been I'm con- I don't know what's happening but the 10 point deduction I guess is fair, unless you're Jose Mourinho, who is very, very mad about this one because it puts them only the one point behind Roma uh, in sixth. Uh, Jose, I think, still wanting to secure some form of European qualification. So Roma needing to get at least a couple points here to make that happen. They could win the Europa League final and do that as well, to be fair. Yeah, there you go. All right. So he's happy either way. (laughs) They're playing Sevilla. They are not winning that match Ah, in the Europa League final. That's true. That's true. Taylor, sorry. (laughs) Oh, no, that, that's fine. Okay. That, I think Grant, Grant has made points. That's all you need to know. Okay. Um, well, let, let's talk about that because Roma in the Europa League final against Sevilla, Fiorentina in the Conference League final against West Ham as well. If And Inter, of course, in the Champions League final. So if all three Italian teams, in theory, win all those games, how many European bursts do they get next season? I It's broken my brain trying to think oh, about no, it. Oh, no, Ryan, I can't figure that out. <laughs> Knowing like know. UEFA coefficients, like two, somehow they'll be punished for it. It won't <laughs> yeah. make any sense. Like they won't get two extra championship places, will they? It wouldn't work like that because they could get a maximum of five. Is that right? I think. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just so, saying words. I think so. So then top three in the league and then the Champions League winners. But then what happens if Inter finished? Oh, I don't know, Ryan. This is so confusing. <laughs> Someone ask I, a so question and we'll, we'll, still- we'll research it. So it was previously the case that if you were outside the top four and then you won the Champions League, 
you basically kicked the fourth place team out, right? That's how it used to be, and then they changed it so that you keep your yeah. your spots, but then if you're outside the top four and win, then you make it. So if Roma win the Europa League, they would get in to the Champions League, right? And then the the, the four teams above them would also qualify. So Inter qualifying for the Champions League, even if they win it, they're already going. So I think it doesn't but, change all that much. But I think Ryan's point is, if that happens, and then Fiorentina, um, not Fiorentina, excuse me, if Roma then win the Europa League, mm-hmm. and obviously the prize for winning the Europa League is a Champions League spot, and they finish outside the top four in Italy as well, and you can only have a maximum of five Champions League spots per country, that's your point, Ryan, isn't it? That, I don't like, know what, what happens in that case. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's confusing. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of Italian teams in Europe if they do well in these finals, I suppose, is the conclusion here. But uh, uh, as it stands, yeah, um, Roma's shot at getting into the Champions League well, actually, they could, they could technically do it by by the league table, but their best shot is by winning this single game against Sevilla, which, as we've established, very difficult thing to do. Uh, should we look at the bottom of the uh, Italian table? Sampdoria, obviously, down uh, with only 18 points. We've got Cremonense in 19th. We've got Maicharona Verona in 18th. A few other teams who could be dragged in with two games to go, not least Spezia and Lecce, Graham. Yeah, so they drew last weekend. They played each other last weekend. And that draw means that Lecce have a, a better head-to-head record with Spezia, but an inferior one to Verona, who are the other team that are involved in this uh, this kind of three-way fight to avoid the last relegation spot. However, um, this season that doesn't matter as much as it used to because the rule was changed for this season. So if two teams finish level on points and one is in the relegation zone and one isn't, is in the one the place above the relegation zone, then we will have a 90-minute playoff after the yes. end of the regular season. Um, and then I was reading this rule, if three or more teams are level on points, then a mini-table will be drawn up of their head-to-head records, and then the bottom two will enter that playoff match. So... Italy does things a little bit differently with that rule, and there could be even more drama once the season actually finishes. Wowzers. That, I, I really hope that happens. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah a, a, an 18th place playoff. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, okay. Should we, uh, should we head over to France, Taylor? How about that? Should we do that? Let's uh, see. PSG in first place. They got a six-point lead over Lons in second place. Two games to go as well in France. So PSG uh, in the catbird seat. Lons, uh, not exactly a Champions League regular, Taylor. No, not at all. Uh, but we would assume we'll be there five points ahead of third-placed Marseille, who I also didn't think would be back in these spots, uh, given some of the uncertainty they have had in recent memory. Uh, so I think it's it's an interesting enough finish to league on, but when you have PSG feeling mostly comfortable, but then also having the turbulent season they've had, it's another one that the the memory of this campaign, I think, is probably going to be the semi-implosion at PSG and less so an interesting title race or who else finished in the Champions League spots. All right. Uh, and let's see, in third place, Marseille, fourth place, Monaco, as you say, Taylor. And uh, uh, I'm trying to figure out who gets into Europe in this league, Graham. <laughs> yeah, so two auto- automatic Champions League places, then one playoff, I believe, yeah. then one Europa League, and then one Conference League place. That's so 
I think Lille and Rennes are still in the, the, the mix for European places, not for the, the, the champ, the top three places. Um, Marseille, as, as, as Taylor mentioned, maybe overperforming this season relative to expectations. I would say Monaco have stagnated a bit this season and Philippe Clement, um, I was reading there's basically an acceptance he'll be leaving at the end of the season. I watched them lose to Leon um, at the weekend just because you see that on the TV, Leon Monaco, you go, oh, that's quite a big game. But Monaco just, it was all a bit insipid and I'm, I'm really not sure they're getting the best out of a squad that isn't untalented. So it really feels like this summer could be the start of, uh, if not a rebuild, then a, a, a new cycle for them heading into next season. Uh, and at the bottom in France, uh, we've got Angers, Ajaccio and Troyes who've all been relegated already. One of Nantes, Auxerre and Strasbourg will join them. Cool. Taylor, anything to say about that or should we move on to uh, Pastors New? Are you sure you want to go deep on Auxerre? Fine. Okay. I'll, you you can uh, <laughs> not take that opportunity. Let's go to the Eredivisie then where we know Feyenoord are champions. PSV in second place. Ajax in third. We've got one game to go. This is the final weekend of the Eredivisie. Is anything at stake here, Graham? Um, this was not in our running order, so I'm no. doing research on the fly right now. Very I mean, good. I have watched a few Eredivisie games, um, but beyond the top of the table, I can't admit to knowing much no, about how things like have gone. I've gone rogue there. Let's go to Portugal, why don't we then? Uh, a bit more interesting there. Benfica and Porto at the top of the yeah. table, 84 and 82 points, Graham. Yeah, so I have been keeping a close eye on the title race in Portugal. I've actually written about it a few times because I think it's been fascinating this season. And it started with really enjoying watching Benfica play. They were on this incredible run in the first half of the season. Obviously, we watched them in the Champions League. I thought they were one of the best teams in the Champions League in the group stage. And then they started to fall away dramatically just at the time that they exited the Champions League. And... Porto have put together this incredible winning run. I think they've now won 10 in a row. There's just two points between them with one match left to play this weekend. It would have been just one point had Benfica not fought back from 2-0 down against Sporting last weekend. I watched that game live. It was an incredible match. The Benfica scored this stoppage time equaliser. Wild celebrations because I think... I mean, this might be stating the obvious, but big difference between, you know, a one-point gap and a two-point gap. It feels like Benfica just have to kind of stagger over the line now. Um, they have relegated Santa Clara at home this weekend. Porto have Vitoria at home. So maybe maybe it's likely this will be a bit of an anticlimax with both teams picking up wins in the final game and nothing really changes. But yeah, this is this is one I'll be keeping an eye on because it's been really interesting this season. Wonderful stuff. All right, I think we have permutated Europe, Taylor. Do you feel good about our permutations here? <laughs> I feel good about them. I don't feel good about the word permutated. But yes, otherwise, <laughs> I feel pretty good. Wonderful stuff. All right, let's wrap it up here then. Graham Rutherford, a pleasure uh, having you join us on this here podcast to discuss the finer nuances of the, what, what, do, what do I call it on uh, NBC? Championship weekend? Deciding weekend? I don't know what they call it. I can't remember. Sure, let's go with that. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Thank you very much. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your services to audio in this last hour. It has been my pleasure. I've also enjoyed learning that Graham has roughly 19 different eyes because he's been keeping an eye on so many different things this season and in the final weeks. Graham, I don't know how you do it, but I appreciate that you do. 
Well done. I have uh, attention uh, deficit. What, what's that thing? ADHD. That's yeah. what I've got. Yeah. Footballing ADHD, I think I've got. He forgot what it's called midway through, emphasizing that he hasn't. Because <laughs> well he's watching Greg. three games right now. Yes. That's why, Taylor. Give him a Ooh, break. Oh, shiny thing. <laughs> Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! bye.